0: Today on Peace Talks Radio, a Chinese artist becomes an unlikely catalyst for positive change in a Philadelphia neighborhood. Together, we built
1: 17 uh, art parks and gardens. And uh, we transformed a two acre um, industrial land into a verdant tree farm with huge um, animal sculptures, mosaic animal sculptures. Here is the line here. Okay, good. Yes, very good. Back and forth, back and forth. and
0: And then this artist, Lily Ye, set her sights on impoverished communities all over the world. I call it the
1: Rwanda Healing Project. And they see this beautiful monument, and they feel there's hope in the future, and then they begin to feel peace
0: inside. Bringing peace to the neighborhood through art and community creativity. Today on Peace Talks Radio. This is Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. We put the spotlight on peacemakers throughout history and today. Whether it's the search for inner peace or learning how to resolve conflicts we have with others, in our families, workplaces, communities, or between nations, we consider it here on Peace Talks Radio. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls. Today, how can an urban U.S. neighborhood in decline, where peace and security is in short supply, make a comeback? beautify itself with outdoor sculpture, mosaics, painted murals, gardens, and trees, and do it together as a community? And how can a Rwandan village, devastated by the most extreme trauma of genocide, honor its dead with a breathtaking memorial space and begin to find peace? And how can a little Chinese woman be the one to lead both efforts? Painter and educator Lily Ye did, by combining the healing power of art with lessons from legendary peacemakers, and an open invitation to everyone in these communities to play a part in reestablishing a sense of place and a sense of peace. Lily Yeh, her last name spelled Y-E-H, was born in China in 1941. She grew up in Taiwan, moved to the U.S. at age 22 to seek a master's degree at the University of Pennsylvania. An artistic friendship with a choreographer named Arthur Hall brought her to the North Philadelphia neighborhood of Fairhill, where Hall's studio was located. Lily Ye and Fairhill resident Brenda Toller recalled what Fairhill was like in 1986, before Ye began the project that would lead to the creation of her organization, the Village of Arts and Humanities.
1: In a way, North Philadelphia, it one time was a um, strong neighborhood, but gradually it became dilapidated. There was a lot of abandoned houses, a lot of trash and debris everywhere. It's so-called the bad land. Um, it is a place if you have no business, you don't go in. Um, when you look at the street, it's very gray,
2: very bleak. Not a lot of trees, no flowers. I mean, it was like a lot of, empty spaces and glass bottles and trash being thrown everywhere you have a lot of vacant lots
1: uh, right in the midst of the city they are like broken tooth um
2: it's just like a big hose it was a lot of people trying to find jobs and it was hard to get jobs and a lot of um young men that were like coming out from being incarcerated it was hard for them to like really find anything even something that was underneath the table, like it was really devastating to a lot of families also. You do see violence and drug houses right um,
1: in the middle of the blocks in many places. And then sometimes you see, you hear shootings, and so violence broke out.
0: Lily in conversation with our Carol Boss, said what choreographer Arthur Hall asked her to do.
1: Arthur Hall saw my... Uh, installation. It's indoor gardens. And he liked it. And he just casually mentioned that I have one dot lot, one little lot next to my building in North Philadelphia. Would you come and help me to make a garden out of it? And that's the beginning. And I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know much about anything. I didn't know about building. I didn't know about community. I didn't know about working with youth. I actually knew very nothing, but I was interested. I um, admired him, and and I felt this is an opportunity. And why not give it a try? So <laughs> that's how it all began. Well,
3: for now, let's let's fast forward. In contrast to the neighborhood when you first arrived, if you can describe the community after its transformation.
1: I was at the village. I began to work there from 1986, and I left the village in 2004. By 2004, um, this abandoned lot really grew into a village-like environment. Um, We, together, we built 17 uh, art parks and gardens, and uh, we transformed... Um, a two-acre industrial land into a verdant tree farm with huge um, animal sculptures, mosaic animal sculptures. And uh, also, um, walking through the village is almost like a little bit walking through a Chinese garden. There's no formal entrance. You can go into the village in several um, entryways. And how do you know its village? You know it because it is full of colors. You see blue and green and red um, on mural, beautiful two-story, three-story high murals. And then you see so many gardens filled with flowers and tiled um, murals and sculptures and so forth. And then so you would walk in. But we, we repair. We didn't tear down things. But when things broken down, we renovate. We turn them. We transform them. So you have this very very interesting architecture of the very old and the very new. It, this is kind of an organic connection between that. And then in between the houses where I said it's like broken tooth and so forth, then we have the flower gardens, we have the vegetable gardens, we have the play gardens and so forth. And you have a theater and you have uh, benches and the memorial garden and on and on. It's just very intriguing. And I remember one time when city toward up the sidewalks, and I say, great, you know, when they put down the cement and we put mosaics. So we just put uh, art uh, everywhere. So when you come in, you're embraced, you're nurtured by the art that's in color and imagination from the community to celebrate life.
3: Now, you were essentially asked to revive a stretch of that neighborhood, and, and um, you know, you were born in China, you grew up in Taiwan, you came as an art- artist to attend the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Arts, and you eventually became an art professor in Philadelphia, right. and you're right. not a social worker, you're not an urban planner, and you're not no. an economic <laughs> development expert, and... Um, and yet you were beginning to do community development work, so what skills did you bring as an artist to this community work that proved to be successful? Well,
1: um, I really see myself as a person with very few skills, not knowing much, and uh, everything I got is actually put me in deficit position, for example. Uh, when I went in, people say um, don 't go in you you 're a Chinese woman, a chinese American woman, and you're outsiders and uh, it, you know people don 't like that uh, won 't like outsiders and uh, I wanted to do something um, a sculpture garden and so forth, and people say that well kids going on the street going to destroy everything you built and then I have a little bit money twenty five hundred dollars from Pennsylvania Council on the arts, and uh, by then. One lot became 11 lots. It's really a big lot, a big place. And so people say that, don't go in because you have a drop in the bucket and people um, do a feasibility study, but you can't really build anything. So I just see myself as in deficits position in every way. And do I know how to build a park? No. Do I know about community, especially African-American community in inner city, North Philadelphia? Nothing. But but I got something essential. I want my life to be meaningful. I want to do something that is deeply fulfilling. And I feel um, there is something here in in this little lot. I didn't know how to do it, but it offers an opportunity, and more importantly, because growing up um, in China uh, growing up in Taiwan, born in China, growing up in Taiwan, um, I was um, the you know the, uh, inculcated in the Confucian, especially Taoist thinking, and in the in the thinking of Yin and Yang, you know, in the extreme deprivation and death and the darkness. And that's the beginning and the possibility, the coming of the light. And at that point is the pivotal point of transformation. So I never saw Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, abandoned lot in street people as an end that um, it's um, it, it, you can't do anything else. But I always feel that there is they are potent and in the moment and in the position for transformation transformation. There's one thing very important. Looking back, my all my deficits and all my weak, weakness became the
3: reason why the project mm. stayed. How did you begin to engage people in the neighborhood? Because here you were, this Chinese-American woman coming into a predominantly African-American area.
1: Well, um, I think the first thing is that I felt intuitively that this project is um, of paramount importance to me. I, I, I just felt it how to do it. I don't know how to do this. I need help. So I went to Arthur. I said, can somebody help me? Can you recommend somebody? And so he said, go find Jojo. Jojo, Joseph Williams, is the strong guy on the street. Everybody's afraid of it was It was afraid of him. And he seemed always angry, marching up and down, you know. And so I went and looked for him. <laughs> and Then the words on the street is that there's this crazy Chinese woman looking for Jojo. So Jojo didn't have, want to do, have anything to do with me. But the third time I, I tried to find, find him and he was there. I was able to talk to him and share uh, the dream about turning this abandoned lot into a park. He lived right next to the abandoned lot and he liked it and he said, Okay, I will help you. And that's the beginning. And that's how the project um, it became anchored in the community. It's through Jojo. And then because of him, kids came. Kids adored him. And that's how um, it began to take
0: roots mm-hmm. there. Among the youngsters drawn to what Lily Ye was up to in North Philadelphia were the children of Brenda Toller, who wound up herself volunteering at Ye's organization, which came to be called The Village for short. Now Brenda Toler is on the staff there, but over 20 years ago, she was just trying to find out where two of her boys were hanging out.
2: Um, Jamil was like eight and Raheem was nine. What happened was a lot of times they were like on the block because it was other children that lived on the block. And a couple of times Jamil like winded off and I would go looking for him and had no idea to look on the other block. And then he came home one day and he just kept talking about this Chinese lady. And I was like, Jamil, you don't know what you're talking about. You you stay on this side where I can see you. And he just kept being persistent about it. So one day he came home. He was like, Mom, I really need you to meet this Chinese lady. She got these buildings over there that she's trying to build, these parks and gardens, and we be putting murals and glue. And I was like, okay, Jamil. So one day I went over there, and it was amazing to me how it was nothing there. Like I said, it was like, Uh, abandoned houses and properties and a lot of debris everywhere. And this woman came in North Philadelphia and was trying to put something together. And once you seen the finishing touch of the first piece that she did, it was so beautiful. And my son just like could not stay from over there. And I think it was a good thing because he could have been anywhere, you know, in a negative area, but because Ms. Lily came in there, I mean, it really changed his life and
3: turned his life around. He said that to me all the time. What do you think was, um, the attraction, obviously um there probably weren't too many um people of Chinese descent hanging out in that neighborhood, but was it the fact that she was just doing things that they had never seen before there?
2: Yes. Miss Lily, she started off really small and I mean at the beginning I was I would go over there and support her and then I started volunteering when she tried to put the program together and that was called the fledglings. They were the children six through twelve years old. And it just turned out to be an awesome program. And we started off with like a good 15, 20 kids and wound up with so many. We had people on the waiting list. Um, (laughs) At the beginning,
1: the first summer, it's great.
0: Again, Lily yay.
1: We cleaned up the lot, we did the sculpture, we um, built cement sculptures and so forth. So um, the, at the end of maybe two months, we begin to see something. But it was only like a seed planted in the empty lot. <clears throat> and then... When I came back, um, people were laughing, you know, because the paints peeled off. It looks like it's diseased and the grass grew back. And so the nature took um, took back what we did again. But persistent and coming back time and again, we began to make
2: impact. Ile'ife Park is the first park that's behind the building. That's the very first park that Miss Lily did. Hmm, how can I describe that? It has sitting areas with different color designs. Each one has a meaning. To me, it's a different culture in each one. Some of them are like single individuals where you can just sit there and think. The other ones are double where there's like a, another person there, but it's in the spirit. And then it's another seating area that has like a long seating area where you can sit like five to seven people in there. And it's like a connection. It's a bond that you get when you sit in that, you know, special seat. And then you have the different trees, the different shapes of the different trees that linger over you like it's a covering. And also with the garden around you and the birds singing, you would have to really sit in the area to get the whole full effect of it.
3: So how would you say the project um, changed how it felt to live in that community?
1: Oh, the community changed um, so much, so much because um, I guess people in different ways first thing is that there was no gre- very little green if you see green, usually it's kind of a wild uh, gra- um, grass and weeds and whatnot and uh, so slowly, when you see those and the Dirt being replaced by mosaic floors and by gardens, by flowers and by vegetables and so forth. I mean, so physically you see the change. And then um, we needed more space, like office space. There, volunteers come. We you start to have. uh, staff, we start to have a year round educational program. We need more spaces so I, we have um, the co founder came Stephen Sayer and he helped to renovated the three story um, warehouse that became our headquarter and so we have a building. And then there were abandoned houses on our street. So we renovated six buildings um, into uh, offices and uh, studios and apartments. And then eventually we built six three-story high, um, uh, low-income but beautiful homes for first-time low-income families. And then, so with 17 gardens, with a tree farm, with a lot of you know, we turned over 200 abandoned lot into green spaces. So you see a lot of people working all the time. I mean, it's just a busy, busy place. We have youth theater, and uh, we have annual
2: uh, arts festivals, harvest festival, where we would make costumes. The kids would dress up. And we would bag up fruits and vegetables, and we would have this big, fabulous parade. And we would go around in the neighborhood, knock on everybody's door, and um, Miss Lily would say this special blessing, that we would bless the neighborhood, bless the children. And that's how I really got involved.
1: And so then... Uh, We not only have volunteers, we have um, people from all over the country and in from the world coming to see the village. So from a forgotten and disfranchised community, it became a celebratory, very much celebratory Mm -hmm. community. So um, it was very exciting.
0: More with Lily Yeh, more about her work in North Philadelphia, and later her Rwanda healing project. This is Peace Talks Radio. More after this break. Listening to Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution, online at peacetalksradio.com. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls along with Carol Boss. Today, conversation with Lily Yeh, an artist who helped the North Philadelphia neighborhood of Fairhill revive itself through outdoor art projects, mosaics and murals, parks, gardens, and tree farms the community coming together to create these spaces generated a sense of place and a sense of peace, replacing the sense of insecurity and despair that previously dominated the neighborhood. From the New Tang Dynasty television documentary on Lily Ye, here are some of the sounds of her work with children and adults in Philadelphia and some of the reaction from people in the neighborhood.
3: Is
1: it too much pain? Okay, what do you do here? You lick it a little bit with the, with the container okay now you start here is the line here okay good yes very good back and forth back and forth back and forth in the first few years when Lele Ye returned to the community to build the park Tall Mike told her when you return next summer I will definitely quit drug Lele replied I am not here to provide solutions to your problems but to share with you the artistic work 10 years later Mike became her most capable assistant He's a teacher and main director of the inlaid art A
4: Wonderland you know and like uh, my life kind of reflected the wasteland that I had uh, that I had derived from you know I came from uh, a time of drugs and trying to make money trying to get money and uh, during this whole particular time I was uh, destroying my life and you know and I didn't have a uh, any kind of passion to do anything there was no sense of uh, trying to change or anything like that until I met Lily who I thought was a, uh, some kind of reckless individual who was about giving, about sharing, about uh, uh, teaching the kind of light that shines from inside of her, she wanted people to recognize that they had something to give, that they have an, uh, an ability, all they have to do is to, uh, find that uh, that that central chi and uh, and they can begin to uh, do positive things. I never could believe that, but like uh, shortly after I had began to work with her, you know, like uh, I could feel the positive energy from the people that uh, we was building for. We were serving. People would stop and say, "I love what you're doing. I like I like this. This is so wonderful." And uh, for me, that was uh, an instant kind of gratification that I never had received before. So uh, you know, I just continued to.
2: Feed on that feed. Um, I was very impressed by this just this whole space and seeing how big it is and how vast it is and like it um, just like spreading within this neighborhood that's like was run down and now it's like very alive very just like jiving it incorporates you know community it incorporates kids and art and that's what I want to do um, as a form of like teaching and understanding how to be a community, and work together.
0: Members of the Fair Hill community reacting to the work initiated by artist Lily Ye, that helped rejuvenate their neighborhood into a more peaceful, productive, and welcoming place. A link to the full New Tang Dynasty television documentary on Miss Ye's work in Philadelphia is at our website, peacetalksradio.com. Again, Lily Ye in conversation with our Carol Boss.
3: Lily, I know you've been inspired by the writings of Gandhi and Martin Luther King and also um Nelson Mandela as a student. Yes. And they each understood the importance of patience in the work of fostering peace and compassion. And yes. I'm wondering if if that has a relevance.
1: Um I think to begin with in uh in Gandhi, you know, he um, he said that if we really want world peace, we must start with children. And at the Village of Arts and Humanity, how it started, it was the children. Uh, when adults were laughing at me, when nobody wanted to uh, pay attention to um, this Crazy lady, children responded to life, to innovation, and to creativity, and to joy. So they came uh, without asking questions. They just want to help. And then from um, for Martin Luther King and then from Mandela, you know, what I learned um, in addition to patience is really truly. Um, hold on to your dream and not compromise. Even in very hard times when they were being attacked imprisoned um, uh, and assaulted and so forth. They didn't react to people's violence. They stay on course on truly what they believed in. They see the true nature of human beings, our potential of being good and being the, the, the courage to embrace and to endure. And so I think those are the fundamental um, uh, principles that that guide them, that give them strength for them to be patient. And because they understand we are better than what people often do. So they didn't react to violence. They stay on the peaceful course.
3: I was thinking sometimes it's necessary to... To need sort of a series of, of small victories, so to speak.
1: Yes, that's why it's very important for all participants to see some success. Otherwise it just seems it's unattainable. The goal is unattainable. And so art that's why art is such a powerful tool for transformation. Because to grow a flower it takes a year or you know, you have to wait for weather, but to to make a flower, you paint a flower, it takes very short time and it's there. And uh, um, so in, in art, everybody is, e- is equal, so you don't have discrimination. In art, you can create a new space where everyone with imagination, with talent, wanting to give, can walk into this new space of democracy and equality and we can give and offer what we have. But there is something to me is more profound in um, in the, you can say, victory or in reward is really when you're talking, working with people, when people have no pretense, no goal to gain, but people just bear their hearts and, and no alternative um, um, motives and working together to a common goal, that transform participants.
0: That's artist Lily Yeh. Brenda Toller is a staff member for the nonprofit organization that Lily started, which came to be known as the Village for short.
3: Did you actually feel and sense that your life and the life of your family, as well as others, your friends and maybe relatives, um, actually changed? Yeah. Uh
2: because I was a house body, always
3: was. And
2: like I said, when Miss Lily came, it just brought me out. But Miss Lily changed my family. My immediate family with my husband and my children brought us close together because when you have children that wants to get involved in something, try not to hold them back because it might take them to a level that will change their whole perspective on life, whether it's negative or positive. And it has really, really done a great thing to my children and my family. Because my son, he talks about it all the time. Like, he'll come back to the village and be like, talking to the children that's still like, the village has changed my life. You know, the village took him to, um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, with the multicultural youth exchange program. And that was from Miss Lily. Also, they helped him get involved with, um, Nickelodeon. They did a project with Nickelodeon years ago, and he was involved, and all that came together, and he announced President Jimmy Carter at the President's Summit. If I recall, I think it was 1995, and all because Miss Lily. And when people seen that my son was doing so much, they was like, I want to get involved, I want to get involved. And we still have people right now that come through the village and ask about Miss Lily, and they talk about how when they first came Even the men. And, you know, a lot of times the men don't get involved. Even the men, how they helped to build the different parks and gardens. I mean, it's, like, fascinating to me to see people still come back and remember from which they came. And a little Chinese lady came into a black community and changed people's lives. And you can't get everybody, but the few that you get,
3: that's something special. You know, Brenda, it sounds like... um Each program had life lessons to offer, and I'm wondering if you might have some examples of what some of those life lessons are for you and your family, perhaps.
2: The program that sticks with me for the teenagers when they um, put the teenage program together was the Rites of Passage. The Rites of Passage ceremony was... It was like the movie roots. You know how the movie roots if you ever watched it when the men when the young men grow up their parents the fathers take their sons to become men to this area, this sacred area and put them in a circle and tell them the 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 do's and don'ts of becoming a man and how to protect yourself and be aware of this and that. That's how the Rice of Patches, um ceremony is. Because like I said, they stand in the middle of that meditation circle with their torches. And each one of them talks about the level of growth and where they want to go. And then Mr. German, H. German Wilson, he was the director of the team program. He would tell them, this is what needs to be done. And only you can change your life. Only you can change the opportunity to become something bigger and better. You know, and that sticks with me because I see it with my two sons. Like I said, they were there for a long time and I see the growth. And I am like so thankful and blessed for Miss Lily, like putting this together in that community because it changed, like I say, it changed my life. Raising boys is hard, but they are strong men. You know, it made them grow into strong men. And I, I thank her for that. And she always called me mother of two golden sons. And I tell Miss Lily, I said, Miss Lily, you did this, and I, I thank you, and I will never forget her.
3: During the time that Lily Ye was working in the community and after, when she when she was gone, was there any, for lack of a better way of saying it, kind of slipping back? Hmm. When Miss Lily left, it is it, like,
2: to be honest, it, it was like the heart of the village left with her, Um Cause a lot of people like were really sad, and you know that Miss Lily left. They couldn't believe that she left, and I was like devastated. Cause I was like, you can't leave. Like, what is going to happen to this place? You know. But I guess, like I said, it was a lot of people in the community. A lot of my coworkers that got laid off, and I was still there. And I was wondering, why am I still here? And Ms. Lily told me, she was like, Brenda, you're still here for a reason for the children because the children still need that stability. And, you know, I thank her every time I talk to her. I thank her for that. And the community even says, we're so-and-so. You're still there. So it's a reason and a purpose. And I'm, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful. And when my time is up, I will know about it. But it always will be, my heart will always be at the Village.
3: What does a neighborhood have to do to make sure these things don't slip away? I can put it like
2: this. When Miss Lily was there, Miss Lily went out into the neighborhood. She went out into the community, and a lot of people knew her, even the children. And she would stop and talk, and it's a fruit tree in Meditation Park that where Miss Lily would go there, and she would pick off that fruit tree and eat, and that drawed the children. Back to the children. It drawed the children. And when they didn't see her no more, I think it put something in them that, well, if she's not here no more, there's no need to, like, keep supporting. Because it started started to be vandalizing. Like, they started setting fires in the trash cans at the village. They started breaking the murals that were up there. And now we're, like, putting them back together. And, you know, Miss Lily, she still comes through there. But she was like, I understand. You know, and I, I always say to her, "I say, Miss Lily, it will never be the same again without you being here." I might be wrong, but by me being involved with her and she being in my life with me and my family, I know, you know, the difference.
3: Well, it's one person who um, clearly made um, an immense difference in a neighborhood, but then people pass on for whatever the reasons are, and so trying to get at the idea of how. How it still gets to hold together, even though the person who might have been the initiator of it all, you know, is gone. That's true. Well, The Village, you're working for The Village right now, that nonprofit organization, they're still continuing and expanding on um, what she initially did?
2: Yes. Like I said, there was a lot of vandalizing going on, but we are, like, building it back together and— um some of the old staff that was there years ago that did work in the ceramic studio, uh, me and one of the girls, I release, we're trying to put back some of the statues. Like, it's not completely knocked down. Like, some of the pieces have been knocked off, but we're putting it back together. And like I said, we still have people that come and still say it's beautiful there. So evidently, something is still there. The spirit
3: is still there.
0: Again, Lily Yeh talking with Carol Boss.
3: You talked about the... Um the powerful tool that art can be. And um, I I know I read something that you had written about how um, the government and even the private sector, they can build transportation and utilities and communication systems and they can construct buildings and highways, but they rarely can address our emotional and our mental and spiritual needs. And that seems to be um, pretty critical if if one wants to build a compassionate community i feel it's essential it's the
1: soul of anything we do. Um, yes, uh, we need housing. We need a uh, um, go- uh, good sp- outdoor space, environment, everything. Yes, we need that. But it's like you build a computer. You have the hardware. But it's the software that makes everything work, make the uh, the magic happen. And I feel, you know, connecting to bring our emotion, to bring meaning, and to bring... Uh, our heart to our work is essential because we're getting more and more in, into an urban society with high-rise buildings, fast transportation, and uh, building. It's concrete everywhere. There is a set deep sense of alienation. You know, the the families' the structure breaking down. We are not in the old community where the parents and and the families can give us strength. Now, how do we relate to each other? So um, how do you become um, personalized in the new, urban, fast-growing society? And I feel that we have to connect to the people next to you. We have to open our heart. We have to bring, make our life meaningful. And then we have to connect with the, the, our space and the thing we do um, with meaning and with our heart.
0: In a moment, we'll have more with Lily Yeh, more about her work in Rwanda on Peace Talks Radio. First this break. You're listening to Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution, with scores of episodes in our series available to hear online at peacetalksradio.com. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls. Today we're visiting with Chinese-born artist Lily Ye, who in 2004, after 18 years, left her North Philadelphia project in the hands of her deputies. Then she started a new organization called Barefoot Artists, with a mission similar to her work in Philadelphia. On its website, the mission is described as follows, bringing the transformative power of art to the most impoverished communities in the world through participatory and multifaceted projects that foster community empowerment, improve the physical environment, promote economic development, and preserve and promote indigenous art and culture. Barefoot artist projects have taken hold in Ghana, Ecuador, the Congo, Syria, Republic of Georgia, Kenya and Rwanda, a nation that was devastated by genocide in 1994. Our Carol Boss talked about the circumstances which brought Liliye to this Rwandan village.
3: In 2004 at an international conference, you met John Bosco Musana, regional coordinator of the Red Cross in Jasini, Rwanda. And this was 10 years after The genocide there. And I just want to remind listeners about the enormity of the events in Rwanda, 1994. And during a period of 100 days, approximately 1 million Tutsi were killed by two Hutu militia groups. What did Mr. Musani ask of you?
1: He didn't. Uh, He he gave a speech um, about how the um, the impact of genocide and how much people were still traumatized by the event, and the desperation and poverty of the country. And it's the way he spoke. Uh, I was just deeply moved. I was in the audience, Uh, and uh, so after the presentation, and I was on my way. To Kenya, I have been working in uh, in this community uh, called Korokoro. It's a vast uh, one hundred thousand people live on the verge of a huge, huge city dump, um, twenty minutes from Nairobi. So I've been going there since uh, nineteen ninety four. Yeah, but anyway, I was on my way to Kenya, and I was touched by his speech, and I felt. Maybe the world didn't do anything during the genocide, and maybe it is not too late. So I told him that, wait for me at the airport. I am coming to visit you. And so that's how we made the connection. He had no idea what I would do. Neither did I. When I went there, he took me to see two sites. One side is the mass grave um, of uh, Mass grave of people's bones. They were just b- uh, put together and uh, placed under a um, very rough concrete caskets um, with a corrugated, you know, kind of rusty corrugated um, uh, roof. And uh, so um, and then he also took me to see a village of 100 mostly female-headed and some orphan-headed um, genocide survivors' village. Um, it's all. In the Rugerieri uh, area, yeah, about the 15 minutes from Gizini. and so um, I asked him, uh, "What does it? Uh, which one needs help more?" He just said, "Really, both needs help." And so I launched. Um, both projects at the same time. So it turned out, I call it the Rwanda Healing Project. It turned out to be a yin yang. It's just like the Tao. Dao a picture of the Tao. Half of it is about the genocide, the tomb and the death and the destruction and the horror. Um, and the other side is the aftermath of the genocide and it's the survivors, their desperation, their daily pain. And so I launched this uh, it's like one adre- looking in the past, one look in the future. And uh, together I call it the Rwanda Healing Project.
3: Well, essentially you, um, you created a genocide memorial for the village, and, and I guess the second part of the healing project was to actually transform that village for survivors. And how critical was it to, that the memorial came first? Yeah, well,
1: thank you for asking the question. Actually, I didn't want to do the memorial. I was totally frightened. Um, and I want to li- do, to work with children and work with the living in the future. So I asked Jean Bosco, I said, if I have to choose one first, which would you recommend? He said, you need a dress to the dead. And I was very shocked by that. But he said, if you don't look at the dead, if you don't heal from the past, you cannot have a good future. And so I went in reluctantly, and uh, I thought I could do um, something simple, like at the village with the people living there. We can make it beautiful. We can make mosaic and so forth. But then people say, no. We cannot help you. You have to get professionals. It has to be a professional job. And in addition, you have to... Um, then you also, uh, could you help us to bury our dead properly? Because their bones were above the ground. And they say they won't rest until they're buried underground. And so I was totally frightened because if anything happened to the bones, then you are, you're hooked, connected to the sorrow of a national psyche. But I felt that I was called at that time to do that, and I have to figure out a way, and so. But anyway, um, so that that's it, it, yeah, it's it's full of challenge. But it's the probably the most profound thing that I did in my life is to build that monument. Okay, Fabrice. Okay, you you have to give me. You, you the letter has to read very well. No.
0: You're hearing audio from a documentary about the Rwanda Healing Project. Ye working with Rwandans as they constructed the one village's memorial for the dead.
1: Maybe have some leaves here, here, flowers, flowers, all flowers. Okay, maybe some leaves, some jewels, and flowers. Yes. This. this is fine. Yes. yes. Good. Okay. Yeah. Meza. This is yeah, no visa. Yeah, visa. Okay, yeah, yeah. Good, okay, yeah. So and then all around, all around. It's just this flowers, only flowers, no leaves. Flowers, leaves, all around. Good? Dark. Okay. Dark good tile inside. Yeah. Or use the blue. It may be some of the blue. Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: okay. Then you read this better. You yeah. yeah. find the letter. Yeah? Okay, W. Yeah. Okay. And then mm-hmm. wait, okay. Why why they like this one and don't like this one? Why? <laughs> Right. And uh, wh- what did they say?
0: Mm. say this one okay. say. Very
3: good. Uh-huh.
2: They, they choose this one uh-huh. because um, it's the glass. Glass, that's, okay. Uh, that, this uh, black and blue. Uh-huh. It's also well because it's clear. If you you are on the distance, no. you look this the, the Yes.
1: Very, oh. Very good. Very <laughs> good. <laughs> Very good eye. <laughs>
3: Okay. See, this goes
1: pretty quick, huh?
3: Did you find that your approaches in working with the people of Rwanda were similar to those used in North Philadelphia? In a sense, they're both devastated communities, but in Rwanda, this is a a community whose... whole the country it's a whole country whose psyche has been traumatized and right, i'm wondering right, if the scale right. of violence and trauma requires different approaches or you found yourself working um, with I, these people in in the same way right right well I think um,
1: uh, village, 18 years um, working at the village, certainly prepared me well to take on something like that. I, mean, I think if I didn't um, work at the village, I probably would not would be totally at a loss how to go about it. Um, the second thing is that I think the methodology is very similar. Um, at the beginning, I I didn't go to the trauma I didn't go to the darkness I didn't go um to delve into um people's sorrows I look at what is possible for us to do together in a new kind of space where we can think about the future and so um in the uh, in the genocide um the first thing well I think um the, the the, what made me realize um, the village helped me um, it, it helped me to understand the power of art in transforming place and community. What is the power of art? It's really the beauty, and it's like you you don't you know it's it, it's not not all art transform. It's like a, I often call North Philadelphia what I do there is like a, a, urban alchemy. You have to um, you have to gel up things. You stir up things. You get people to create things. But then you go through a process of selection, distillation, and uh, a very um kind of... Uh, uh, how do you say? Demanding process, and when you reach certain quality of harmony of power, then the work has the power to transform, and that's beauty. Um, a, a, it's a um, so anyway. When I saw the genocide memorial, I uh, the mass grave, the first time, my heart sank. I said, "There's no healing." When the victims, um, every day, see their loved ones being buried in such a ra- r- kind of raggedy place. And I said, we must bring beauty to honor the dead. And so I went home um, and I did the little sketch. Uh, and I just out kind of intuitively and get the permission, get the community, get the people to look at that they liked it. So I developed into a beautiful drawing, drawing of a beautiful site. I didn't have, uh, so I went back. And then um, the funny thing is that just like the village, when I went there, I I have no idea how to design a memorial. And uh, I have no money, I have no architecture preparation, I mean, architectural background, but only the the sincere desire wanting to do it and felt that it is in my path that I must deliver this and there is something there that for me to discover through doing this and so um, and like at the village you know often I felt I'm at the dead end I don't know where to go and the right person and the right help came and rescued me and so at that time when I was there and it just happened that you know I <clears throat> I found the China uh, Road and Bridge Construction Company. They actually built a lot of Rwanda roads and so forth. And they felt that here is a countryman, and I'm not doing anything for profit. And then so they stepped forward and they helped me even before I
3: had the resources to do that. It's just been just about exactly two years ago that the memorial was dedicated. And um, I heard there were like, 5,000 people that attended the ceremony.
1: I actually just came back about uh, 10 days, two weeks ago, uh, and I was there April 7th and doing the memorial. And the memorial, 15th year anniversary, was uh, held in this beautiful space I I created for them. And I can't, it's just profound. It was just profound to see people. They they painted everything. I gave this. With you know many of my friends, we were there. And in Terry's beautiful book, Terry Tempest Williams talked about the dedication. We gave it to the community. We gave it to the government for safekeeping, and they did. They painted a new and the white and the purple, the color of morning, their flag of color in the undulating form. It just glistened in the bright Rwandan sun. Thousands of people came and marched and reenact at the roadblock and at the ceremony, they remembered the dead and they opened up the pits in this be- the, in this beautiful memorial. People line up to go into the bone chamber. They open up the caskets and there you see many people's bones collected there. Even 15 years later, People screamed, hauled, collapsed, and traumatized in that bone chamber. They have to be carried out, being embraced, being consoled by Red Cross people, their family, and other people there. And to see that that beauty, they feel yes, now their dead ones are buried in a beautiful place. Their soul can rest, and so can the victims. Their soul can rest and they can now begin to think about the future that was profound for me
3: and that in a way too is a is a is a, a vivid description of peace of finding peace yes you have to heal you have
1: you know the, yes the pat, the dead is dead But the living, they have to carry the burden of that trauma, but they have to find the courage to look at the future. But when they see their outsiders, people, you know, uh, Terry describes, they feel loved by people they have never seen from America, whose hearts are connected to them. And they see this beautiful monument and they feel There's hope in the future. They are being loved, they are being cared, and their sorrow is being heard and being felt. And then they begin to feel peace inside and find courage to move on. I have two models. Models, okay. One, they both by um, Mother Teresa. One is um, make my heart broken so completely the, that the whole world falls in. So sometimes in adversity, um, maybe that's the beginning of transformation and love. And the other one is that, also from Mother Teresa, we can never do great things, but we can do small things with great love. That's the beginning of taking action, however small, but with compassion, with concern for others. I think that's maybe the beginning of um, transforming our, uh, our society, our environment, society, and the planet. And also... Um, What happened in the outer world um, is intimately, intimately connected to each individual's action. For example, climate change is directly connected about the food that we eat, the energy consumption. So our action matters in a huge way.
0: For more about Lilié's organization, Barefoot Artists, and links to these film documentaries where you can actually see these remarkable spaces she's helped build, visit our website, peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com, where you can also hear all the programs in our series going back to 2003. You can also order CDs of most episodes, sign up for a podcast, or our newsletter. And it's also where you can go to make a tax-deductible contribution to our nonprofit media organization that produces this program and keeps talk of peace on the radio and on the web. Additional support comes from the Oppenheimer Brothers Foundation, the McCune Charitable Foundation of New Mexico, the Peace Tales CD Project at peacetales.org, and KUNM at the University of New Mexico. Ali Adelman composed and performs our theme music. For Carol Wass, I'm Paul Ingalls. Thanks for listening to and for supporting Peace Talks Radio.